The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand up comedy? You want stand up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. A lot of thuds. <laughs> I never realized how many sound effect thuds there are in that. Anyway, they're rocking out. Don't ever stop the guys when they're rocking out. Uh, I feel like... Um, Maybe this is not the right music. Maybe it should have had something a little more, I don't know, 70s disco. Ready for this morning. Because this is a day when I feel like getting down and boogie oogie again. <laughs> Good morning, folks. It is Tuesday, right? It is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. Uh, a lot of twos and two threes in there. Anyway, uh, great day to be alive. Uh, beautiful spring day here. Hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are. As we are approaching Memorial Day weekend, it always sneaks up on you. Boom, like that. It's like it's winter and you're waiting for a Memorial Day and you're waiting for it and you're waiting for it. And then there it is. Boom. But here in New York, where I am, uh, still a little chilly. And to be honest with you, I have a gig on the beach Friday night I'm a little concerned about because the weather report keeps changing. But now it's saying a high of uh, high of 61 during the day, but at night it could get down to 47 degrees. If it's 47 degrees on Long Island, on the beach, it's probably going to be 40 degrees, cold winds blowing in off the ocean. Not the kind of weather where people want to stand out and dance and sing. And I mean, I could see them in winter coats, serving hot chocolate and lots of fire pits to keep warm and that kind of stuff. But it is what it is. You make the best of it. And that's what we will do. The song, Get Down, Boogie Oogie Oogie. Is that the name of the song? I thought it, I, I, I thought it. That was just the hook, but not necessarily the title of the song. I remember that. Uh, being in New Mexico when I was going to uh, school, I think I was probably in my sophomore or junior year, and that song was played on the radio every five seconds. And in New Mexico where I was, they, they have radio, 
in those days anyway. I don't know what it's like now. They had radio stations. Ooh, did you hear that crack in the voice? Uh, radio stations <laughs> that had really only the 40 records that they were supposed to play that week on tape in a loop. Like, they didn't even have real DJs. And so, basically, you, you got the order they were playing in. And it seemed like that song was on every, oh, I don't know, three minutes or so. It was like, they'd play a song, they'd play another song, and then back to uh, Taste of Honey. Get down, boogie, boogie, boogie. Why am I talking about this? Well, my guest tonight, uh, my first guest today, this is a double-down day, by the way. Uh, this is a test for me. Uh, to see if I can go from two smart guests in one day. Generally, uh, I never have a smart guest. I have dumb guests. I, I know if you're a previous guest, you say, hey, wait a minute, he's talking about me. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, people on my level intellectually, today uh, two people who are, I'm certain are smarter than me, and that's kind of intimidating. Two in a row. I could deal with one, but two going to be a test for me but anyway so my uh first guest today uh it's a medical doctor and got an mba and somehow ended out in la owning restaurants and managing musical acts and how do you make that transition we're going to find out in a little bit um just want to let you know their merch store is now open and all these contributors uh, people who were, want to contribute to the program, people who want to be part of the program, writers, performers, everybody was gung-ho two weeks ago trying to push me. Well, when, when do we get started? When do we get started? Well, you can get started right now. And so far, only Robert Taylor has uh, come through, fulfilled the ambition. See, I think what happens is people say, yeah, it's, uh, I could do that. I could be, I'm a creative whirlwind. I could write for radio. I could write for television. I got, I can produce my own stuff. And then they went to do it and said, wow, this is, this is harder than I thought it might be. And I think that's the situation. But Robert will be here Thursday and we're still waiting on about, <laughs> about a dozen, a dozen other contributors to actually submit their uh, first piece to the program. So uh, that's the state of that. But the merch store is now open. We're going to use the merch store to uh, help support those folks who are contributing to the program. So if you're on YouTube right now, down there, the merch store, um, I think on Facebook, on Mind Dog TV, that we have plugged in um, the merch store. I'm not sure about that. We were working on that last night. Um, if you go to minddogtv.com, up on the right corner, the nav says merch just click on that and it'd be a great way to help support the contributors right now contributors is contributor one robert taylor who will be here thursday with another edition of thank you for your service anyway that's that uh this morning we are brought to you by koa coffee koa is you know the number one coffee in america according to forbes magazine and forbes wouldn't stage things a lie right i bring up that stage stuff which is trending on twitter you know everything is a conspiracy theory now anyway cold coffee is not a conspiracy theory and i got cold coffee you should get some cold coffee too i'll be right back to introduce you to my first guest in just one minute this episode is brought to you by koa coffee 
If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of Aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with Aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. Yeah. Minddogtv.com slash coffee. Get your cold coffee. Help support the program. We appreciate that. It's great coffee. I would not lie to you about that. You're listening to Coffee with a Dog on Live 365, Mind Dog Radio. What else would you be listening to? Oh, boy. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Um, I've had medical doctors on who become authors. I've had medical doctors on who become comedians and and film directors. It's just, It's a very... Strange transition to me because I don't know. I guess I'll talk to my guest about why I feel that's a because uh, you make a transition in any other uh, field and not just feel like why why and that's what I feel like why Dr. Otto Stallworth, who was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, during the forties and fifties and early sixties. He crossed the Alabama state line for the first time at 16 to attend college, graduated and became the first college graduate in his family. Uh, this was followed by a medical degree and tw- at 24 and later an MBA. Outside of medicine, he had several businesses, including Oh Yes Management and Hollywood Fries Restaurant. As a personal manager, he discovered and secured a record deal for Taste of Honey, uh, the first black artist in the 22 22- a year history, then 22 year history uh, of the Grammys to win an award for best new artist for their mega hit song, Boogie Oogie Oogie, Get Down, Boogie Oogie Oogie, in 1979. So, yeah, that's a long time ago. So, 22 years. Anyway, he's has a new memoir out uh, called Are You N? Hashtag, 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 R or Doctor. Obviously, hashtags. Uh, on the cover of the book are not meant as hashtags, but that's how, uh, <laughs> that's how the internet is interpreting them. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Otto Stallworth to the Coffee with the Dog program. Dr. Stallworth, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you. Yes. yes. So, so here's my confusion. <laughs> to become a doctor, First of all, it takes such hard work and such dedication, but it also takes drive to become a doctor. Like, why are you? And so, what? What would make you want to give that up to to do to run a, a restaurant or a management company? That this is where I'm confused because it would seem to me to just to get there, to get the medical degree, and to become a doctor would take so much passion and dedication. Did that just 
disappear at some point? Uh, well, um, it's a long story, actually. You know, I, I, I started playing trumpet in the fourth grade. And I played trumpet all the way through elementary school and high school. In fact, I played a solo at my eighth grade graduation. <clears throat> so I've always had an interest in music, and I've always gravitated toward, uh, toward uh, talented musicians, even in high school and in college. And that's sort of how I ended up uh, doing the music thing. Um, two of my fraternity brothers, who I was very close to at Howard University in Washington, DC, when I arrived in LA, they had just, uh, uh, they had a song that was number one. It was called, I Want You Back by the Jackson Five. And after that, and that was Fonce Mazel and Freddie Parent. And after that, they did all of the uh, Jackson Five songs for the next four or five years. So when I arrived in LA, I connected with them. They were living in Hollywood Hills. And I was just kind of hanging around every day and meeting musicians and this and that. And, uh, and, and, and I started taking uh, courses. Always, you know, it's interesting after you've been in school so long, you know, I was in school for what, 25 years, including, you know, four years of college, four years of medical school, a year of internship, three years of residency. I was just used to that environment. So I started enrolling in classes at UCLA, night classes <clears throat> for various uh, subjects. And one of the classes I took was just on a whim, uh, how to uh, how to make a demo and get a record deal. And perchance, shortly after I finished that course, I went to a wedding. I, uh, I was late at the wedding, but I got there in time to, you know, go down the line and meet people. And when I arrived in the backyard, um, that's when I saw uh, Taste of Honey was uh, doing the entertainment. And that's how I connected with them. Yeah. Now, if I, if I remember... Yeah. I, I, I my memory is really bad these days. But Taste of Honey, two girls up front playing the the guitar and bass. Is that correct? <laughs> that's correct, and that's that's what made them so unique and what attracted my attention. I had never seen uh, uh, two females play instruments, especially except piano, and sing. And so that's what made them so unique. Were they sisters? They were not sisters. They uh, she they had uh, in fact uh, Hazel. Who was the uh, guitar player, and 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 um, uh, JJ was the uh, bass player. Hazel had just joined the group uh, not too long after I met them, and then she had replaced another girl who played the uh, guitar. So I guess this was sort of a concept of the group. The group had been together three or four years when I when I um, met them. And that song, when it came out, it was just everywhere. I mean, I, I I was in a very sheltered place in in Port Talos, New Mexico. So I really, but my experience of that time is every you couldn't get away from that song. It was everywhere. Uh, it just blew up. What now? Because this is interesting to me. You saw them at an event and decided to help them in their career. You had no, at that point, no experience other than knowing the guys who, who produced it and wrote, I want you back with Jackson 5 yeah. and doing the Jackson 5 music. That was your experience. And you just said, I want to help these girls. Uh, well, no, music. what happened, um, I, I just sort of, uh, I, I connected with the, the Perry Kip, Kip, Kibble, who was the uh, piano player. Uh, he, he was sort of the uh, manager of the group. He was sort of the spokesperson for the group. So after that, at that event, the uh, wedding, um, I talked to him, and it turned out they were performing every night at a club in um, 
in uh, Hollywood called Club Etc. And Club Etc. was right across the street from um, AM Records and a few blocks, a couple of blocks south of uh, Sunset Boulevard. In fact, today it's a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't ask how, I won't ask how you know that. <laughs> uh, so uh, I started going to see him, and I and I had these friends. You know, I'm from Alabama, so I knew the uh, Commodores, and of course I had I knew my two wait, producers. Wait, wait, wait! You say I'm from Alabama, so I knew the Commodores. Like, not everybody in Alabama knows the com. I mean, just be. I, when you say no, know of them or knew them personally? <laughs> I actually met them uh, here in L.A. and uh, just became friends with uh, one of them in particular, Ron Lepre, the uh, the uh, bass player. And uh, and I knew that their manager, Benny Ashburn. And uh, I used to go there to rehearsals. It's sort of like um, my, my uh, producer friends, they worked out of Mo West, which was Motown's studio, which was uh, over on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard um, uh, in Hollywood. And um, and so at that studio, uh, the Jackson 5 recorded, uh, the Commodores recorded, almost all of the Motown artists recorded at Mo West studio. So, you know, you're going in and out, you meet people. And, wow. uh, and I met them and what we had in common was, uh, was uh, Birmingham, uh, Alabama. They were from Tuskegee. And, uh, you know, I was from Birmingham. So uh, I knew them socially, and so uh, I, I took them down to see the group, and I took uh, my producer friends down to see them, and then the group out of the blue just asked me if I would manage them, and I happened to take that course I mentioned, so I talked to a friend of mine, who uh, another physician, and he had a singer he wanted me to hear, but after he saw uh, Taste of Honey, he forgot about his singer, and, and we both joined together to promote Taste of Honey, so that's sort of the way it happened, kind of a bizarre uh, thing, but um, that's that's the way it happened. And my interest in music, I've, you know, my my producer friends, uh, I had this thing, uh, you know, I, that they liked because I could pick, I could, I helped them actually pick songs. I would sit around and listen to them play. They go in the studio. They had a studio in the home, and they just play songs, play songs. I said, I like that melody. I like that. I said, let me hear that again. I hear that again. And then it turned out that they would, uh, they start asking me. You know my opinion about uh, music, you know, and uh, about whether this works or this works or that works. So they, I had, uh, and, and it wasn't any money involved or anything else, just a friendship. So they sort of, uh, I, I kind of got a little confident in my opinions, and they kind of got a little confident in my opinions. And so when they saw this group, uh, it, it it didn't take a a genius to see that this was uh, an unusual uh, concept. They'd right. never been before. I mean, to me, right away, I had never seen two females sing and play an instrument other than piano. That's, so, a, that's interesting. Yeah. I got to think about that because I, I, you're probably right about that. But, you know, I never, because unless you have that as an example, you wouldn't say, well, I'm not seeing, you know, it's, it's a, you need the reference to say, to understand if it came before or not. I can't think of any any group that had two uh, ladies up front with guitar and bass. I can't think of any of that. Right. Before. And, and, and so th that was a, uh, that was a drawing card for me. And uh, in fact, when I promoted them, you know, I told you, I took that course and the course was about how to make a demo tape. 
But when I listened to their music, I didn't really like any of their songs. But what was appealing was their stage presence. They sung when they perform at the at the club and when they perform at that wedding, <clears throat> they sang top 40 songs. So every song they sang was a hit, you know, it was right. a you know, dancing song or a slow song or whatever. It was always a hit. And in that way, they had a certain kind of charisma on stage. And um, so instead of making an a, a audio tape, um, we came up with the idea of making a videotape. And I shot the videotape. We made a videotape of them performing at the club. The club wouldn't allow us to uh, record them during a uh, performance at night. So we had to go on a Saturday in the daytime, nobody there, which was it worked out even better because we could cut and restart if you know there was some kind of screw up or something with the yeah. equipment or with what they were doing. And uh, and I condensed that tape down to 20 minutes. <clears throat> and that's what I shopped when I went to the uh, record companies. I took an audio, I mean, a videotape rather than an audio tape. Uh, very cool. Uh, as a point of education for the younger people here, uh, yeah. first of all, we're talking 1970. Well, the hit was 1979, so I'm thinking this is before that night, like 1978, probably somewhere yeah, in that 77, area. 78, somewhere in there. Now, yeah. videotape was not what it is today. I mean, people have cameras in, uh, in their pocket that they take, state-of-the-art cameras. Oh, no. It was to do a video, you actually had to do the big old video recorders, and it was oh. not it was not a simple operation as it is today. Yeah, Fonz uh, had a video recorder. It was the first one I'd ever seen, and it was about three feet by two feet. I mean, it was huge <laughs> and heavy. Yeah. And, uh, and we didn't have a camera, but we rented a camera. And of course, the cameras were big. Everything was big. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was, it was nothing like today where you can just do it with your iPhone or your any kind of phone. Okay, it, now it was, let's was, let me slow you down here a little bit because you said I really didn't. You weren't a fan of their music. As you a fan of their stage presence and all that stuff. So the first time you heard "Get Down Boogie Oogie," I don't. It was Boogie Oogie Oogie, the name of the song, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, did you did you like that song the first time you heard it, or did it take a while to to recognize that this could be a hit? Well, that song. Um... Um, when once we we became their manager, my fr my uh, my friend and I, we uh, they were doing a performance in uh, at the Air Force Base around San Bernardino. I didn't go to that uh, the event, but my friend had a motorhome, and he drove them there and drove them back. And they did a performance there at the Air Force Base for the uh, for the uh, uh, enlisted men. And uh, nobody, you know, nobody moved. Nobody, it, was, it, was, well, it was a predominantly white audience, too. And they were playing top 40 R&B songs. And, and, and the complaint was, uh, and I'm hearing the story secondhand, but everybody just kind of stood there, you know, no movement, no tapping of the feet, uh, no jumping up and down, no yelling, no anything. So when they left that, on the way back, she wrote those lyrics, you know, you get off your feet, uh, you got to boogie, 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 till you can't boogie no more, blah, 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 blah. And she wrote those lyrics. Now, when she, uh, when we signed, uh, when we, when uh, the uh, gentleman who signed them to the record, to Capitol Records, he said, if I could get Fonz and Larry, when he saw the videotape, he said, if you can get Fonz and Larry to, uh, and, and they were brothers, Fonz and Larry Mizell, we went to Howard together, we pledged Capitol together, Capitol Alpha Psi fraternity. And they said, if you can get them to produce them, I'll sign them. And that was a done deal. And uh, 
And that song, I don't know if it would have sounded the same had it not been for Fonce and Larry's production. Because Fonce and Larry, remember they had done four years of, uh, four or five years of uh, Jackson 5. And they had done, uh, they had actually won a, a, a nominated for an award for uh, 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 Blackbird, which was a jazz album they did on Donald Bird. So they had their hands kind of on the uh, their ears, uh, on the pulse of what people like, you know. Right. And so they knew how to, and they were just, you know, in my opinion, they were like genius producers. And and that's sort of what they did with that those lyrics. They took that those lyrics, came up with the melody, and came up with the production. And if you listen to that song even today, I mean today, and I listen to it every once in a while, it's on my playlist. And it's so many things going on, so many layers of music and instrumentation, and and this and that. It's just a genius production. I mean, and I can it stands, it holds its own even today. When you play it and compare it to other songs that are around, it's, it holds up. You know, a lot of songs sound dated when you hear them. Oh, no, no doubt about it. You know, yeah. there are a million guitar teachers now on YouTube and in every single one of them where master guitar teachers are uh, trying to show influential songs of, of you know, modern recorded history. That is one of the ones, you know, that sound be be between that and La Freak, that was, you know, where that funky, really... Um, you know, clean guitar sound was, was that was instrumental in making those those, and then everybody wanted to copy that sound. And then right. it was very you know, and they took advantage. I mean, this is where the producing genius comes in. They took, I mean, they knew they needed to showcase the bass, and they knew they needed to showcase, you know, the guitar player. So there's a lot of riffs in there for the bass player and for the guitar player. In fact, that famous line, doom, 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 doom. Yeah, yeah. You know, when it starts out, I mean, that's what it, where it starts with this heavy bass thing. So, yeah, it, it's I think it's one of the best songs of all time. Right uh, now, um, it also, just one more point for education for the younger people out there. In those days, you were talking about two-inch tape, not computers, and there were twenty-four tracks. And if you wanted more than that, you'd have to go out and buy another twenty-four track. <laughs> two-inch tape machine and sync them up and all that stuff. Music production was not what it is today. And generally, when you did a rhythm track, the drummer and bass player and guitar player or, or keyboard player were generally in the, in the in a played at the same time. It wasn't all like put down a a machine-based drum track and then go in and, and play. Just understanding what you were, what you were doing. Now... Right. As a newcomer in the business, it wasn't an easy business. The question I have for you, because it was a really competitive business, and you come uh, now, you're probably running the restaurant in, in L.A. at this time, right? Or uh, I don't know. The restaurant came, uh, came years later. Okay. So mm -hmm. you're, you're a doctor from Alabama. You find yourself in L.A. Do you believe... This is a, it's hard for me to even ask this question. Do you believe in fate, destiny? Because it sounds like a... For a first-time record producer, <laughs> just to come up with one of the biggest hits ever, it just seems like there's some kind of fate, destiny. You know, do you believe in any of that stuff? I I, I believe. You know, I I felt like, in retrospect, when I look back, I feel like it was predestined. First of all, for me to take that course, and then shortly after that to meet them, and then to you know, uh, what six months later we released the first record. And it goes to we knocked Stevie John uh, Stevie uh, uh, Wonder out of first place, 
and it was uh, number one for 13 weeks. Yeah. And to do that kind of spoiled me in a sense. I had a, a kind of a family emergency and I had to kind of leave the business at that point just when the record came out temporarily. But six years later, you know, it seemed so easy. I said, oh, this I could let me, let me get another hit. <laughs> and I went back six years later and for six years I tried and, and nothing ever worked. Yeah, so wow. it's not as easy as it looked, but it seemed very easy, and I think that was probably a problem for Taste of Honey too. It it seemed easy. I mean, what wouldn't they? They were, you know, she the lead lead singer. I think she was about nineteen or twenty at the time, and here you are, the first song you release, you number one in the world, and right. you won the Grammy. They were the first black group uh, to win the, uh, the the Grammy for for best new artist. Uh, the at that time the. Um, it had only the Grammys have been in existence only about 22 years. Right. So all of this was, I mean, this was overwhelming for anybody. And at 19 or 20, it just seemed easy, I'm sure, because it seemed easy to me. Right. I was about 30 at the time, but it seemed really easy. And uh, uh, and I'm sure there were a lot of people in the business who were going, oh, my God, how did he do that? Why did he do that? Who is still to this day. I mean, I'm still, I'm I'm listening to this story, and I'm just like, it, it sounds like magical. Like, like all the ducks, all the stars had to line up. All the ducks had to be in a row. Everything in the universe had to click right for you to be in the right place to meet them, to, to recognize their talent, to get the help and have the connections that you had. Uh, it, it's it's just a really uh, magical kind of. That's why I asked. It feels like this. One, one, other, one other thing I have to mention, you know, it turns out that the uh, you know the two producers, Franz and Larry Mazel, uh, we were were fraternity brothers at Howard University, and uh, uh, Franz was on my line, and Freddie was a big brother. He was a little older. I mean, uh, yeah, Freddie was it, but Franz and Larry were on my line, and uh, the the gentleman who signed us up. To um, to uh, to the Capitol Records, he also was a, a student that I knew from Howard, wow. from Howard University, and he was a lawyer who had gone uh, and worked at Capitol Records, and then later took over as A and R, which stands for Artists and Repertoire, and um, um, and he ended up um, he signed Luther Vandross, he signed uh, um, uh, Natalie Cole, among other many 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 artists. And of course, later his biggest um, accomplishment was uh, was uh, Thriller, the album with Michael Jackson. He wow, went yeah. to uh, Sony, which uh, I mean uh, Columbia, which became Sony. And uh, so th these were some talented people. And like you said, all the ducks seemed to align. I mean, it was sort of a phenomenal uh, thing, especially when I look back on it from from here in my retrospectroscope. I call it. Right. It was. Um, but at the time, it didn't. It seemed like um, it seemed easy, and it seemed like something that should have happened. Right. But, well, but Rick, like, yeah. Go ahead. Richard Dreyfus talks about when he won the Oscar because he his very first film was The Apprenticeship of Duty Kravitz, and he won an Oscar for it. And he said when he heard his name and he's walking up to get the Oscar, he heard a voice in his head say, too soon, too soon. Like it, this is not a good thing because you're going to you're going to expect this kind of success every time out and he knew he had the wisdom at whatever he was 22 years old to understand don't get used to this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
It's for you, yes. Yeah. So I have your URL for your website going across. I want to talk about how you, before we talk about your book, I'll show the book now. I can bring the book up. But how you transition from, you mentioned you had a family emergency. I guess maybe that played into it. But how you transition from your first, this huge success as a first endeavor into the music business, and then you decide to become a restaurateur. Uh, <laughs> I mean, again, it's just, <laughs> you made a lot of uh, odd left turns that you wouldn't expect in life. <laughs> That's true. I, and it's hard to explain that one. Um, and, and, and it's something that I, um, I think it was a great experience. But it was a dumb, <laughs> it was, a, it was a, 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 a dumb thing to do. A restaurant business is probably, I, you know, I have total respect for anyone in the restaurant business, especially those of, that are very successful, because it is a tough, tough business. And I went into it uh, not knowing that or not realizing that and not thinking that and thinking that, uh, that you know, I could do it. I, I think I had a, we had a great concept. And we had great people because Danny Glover was uh, was uh, part of the thing, and and that was part of our problem. When we opened, we weren't ready for the. Uh, we, we got a lot of uh, free publicity and PR because Danny was involved on the covers of this magazine, that magazine, all newspapers, da 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 da. da this television stations covered us, da da, and we got a little overwhelmed. And uh, and and then it turned out the man that I had hired as a manager turned out not to be as good a manager, although he had managed four McDonald's and this and that and the other, he turned out to make some mistakes. And then the, uh, the, the management part fell upon me and my uh, wife. And as uh, and, and in that business, you can't afford to make uh, mistakes. And you, when you're not in a business and you don't have the experience, you learn by trial and error. Yeah. And sometimes the error. And then of course, now just when we were ready to open our second, um, Second location, we plan to do it at Hollywood and Vine at that new uh, development that's there now. It's not so new now, but it was new at the time. Uh, 9-11 happened. Ooh. And we were on a block in, uh, in Westwood where there was an uh, Arab place across the street from us and an Arab place on the corner. We, uh, on, uh, and uh, we were close, very close to UCLA. So after that uh, thing happened, two things happened. One... Um, uh, no one came on that block because of the, uh, they, you know, to them every 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 everybody was a was a terrorist. Everyone that was from the Middle East was a terrorist. And then um, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Hollywood and Vine, where the uh, the uh, new new um, mall opened, uh, it was dependent upon the Chinese uh, theater there. The uh, uh, can't think Grauman. of the name of it. huh? Grauman's. No, the one, yeah, yeah, that's right, Groma's Chinese Theater. Yeah. But that closed down, yeah, and they had 10 million tourists from China a year. So that mall that they built was dependent upon that. And then, of course, that shut down. They they stopped all the flights from China for about a year. There were no flights coming in the United States from China. So that killed the mall, and that mall that cost $600 million to build, they sold it maybe three years later for $300 million. And, of course, then we... Uh, we didn't want to locate there. In fact, all the businesses started leaving. They had a corridor that led up to the uh, theater, uh, which um, had all these high-end uh, um, stores, and they all left. So it was it was a disaster, and 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 so that that kind of killed us. So we we closed uh, up completely in 2005. But that was an experience that, and I could I would not recommend. 
I mean, I, I admire those California pizza kitchen people. I admire the Starbucks guy. I mean, all these people who had tremendous success, I know that they really, really knew what they were doing and, wow. and prepared in some way for, for, for that because it's a tough business. No, I think you know what oh, every business is tough, but I know restaurants uh, are very competitive, and you really have to know what you're doing. And because people have approached somebody, uh, e even in the last uh, year or so, somebody approached me about restaurant management. I, I have no, you know, just because you have business management experience doesn't mean you know about businesses. And I'm like, where does this come from? I don't know. <laughs> I could be the worst restaurant manager who ever lived. I think I really could. I think I, I have that kind of potential in me. Um, so that's so life has uh, been very, very varied and lots of different experiences, ups, downs, or you know, a very mixed bag. And then I guess did you retire or something and start thinking? I mean, what made you want to write a memoir at this point? Well, I started. Um... I started retiring in 2016, 17. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know I started retiring too, and it didn't. I, I stumbled my first the two attempts at retiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, and um, uh, and then of course COVID kind of uh, sealed it uh, when that when that happened. But but when when I retired, you know, I, I just, my worst subject, and I never talked about this before, but my worst subject in. Uh, in college was um, was English, and so I always wanted to improve in English. And 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 one of the um, and I think I mentioned that I started taking all these courses, these night courses at UCLA, what they call extension courses, UCLA and at USC, uh, uh, to uh, to uh, improve uh, improve improve my. Um, just just because I was used to, used to 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 school. So uh, that's sort of how I ended up getting distracted and, and ended up in other things. But when I when I retired, <clears throat> I, I enrolled at the. Uh, I was admitted. I had to go for an interview. I had to uh, write uh, ten pages to get into the uh, uh, UCLA Master of Fine Arts program, and that was uh, studying screenplay writing. So I actually completed the screenplay, and I had an illness about uh, about a year into it, and I had to drop out. But I did complete a screenplay. So then I started shopping that screenplay, and uh, to people that I knew in the business and whatnot. And and it turned out the screenplay wasn't that good. Uh, but uh, one of the people I shopped it to, a lady named De uh, Denise Nicholas, uh, an actress who I'd known socially, uh, she um, invited me to be a part of her writers group, and they were writing a memoir. Um, I didn't go into writing thinking about writing a memoir, but uh, they were writing a memoir, and we were we we were meeting every two weeks. <clears throat> it was six of us, and we would present the material, and they give us feedback, and we and it was a lot of hard work. But I studied, I studied, I wrote, I wrote, I rewrote, rewrite, and uh, and then uh, uh, right in the middle of this, after two years, the um, we had the uh, COVID thing. And we tried to do the meetings over Zoom, and Zoom wasn't effective. It's hard to meet with six people and really connect, because uh, you know, side, side, side. Sometimes side uh, conversations are just as important as the group conversation, and and so it it, it didn't work uh, over over Zoom. And uh, and during that period, <clears throat> I had completed, you know, actually I had written a, a lot of pages, 
And then, so I spent used the uh, COVID time to do rewrites and, and whatnot. And, and uh, I found that I uh, enjoyed writing. I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the, uh, the post writing process. I enjoyed rewriting. <clears throat> and you know, another thing, my, um, part of the reason I also did this, my cousin, I have a cousin who's a neurosurgeon and he, um, he says that uh, he, he had this, his mom had uh, Alzheimer's. And so he started doing uh, research on Alzheimer's. And, and one of the things he said uh, was that when you, um, when you retire or when you're working uh, to, to delay the onset of Alzheimer's, you need to do something that's, uh, that the brain is not used to doing. And for, for me, for example, I've been practicing anesthesia 47 years at that point. Um, uh, that's on automatic pilot, so to speak. You know, it, it's, uh, and, and, and so I needed to do something that I wasn't accustomed to doing to generate new neuron paths and this and other. And it keeps it active and diminishes the possibility or decreases the, the likelihood of you uh, developing Alzheimer's, even if you're prone to do it. And so uh, that was another reason I decided, well, I need to do something to keep busy because I noticed in my practice of medicine, I noticed that people who retired and had no passion for anything uh, just sit around the house. I mean, they they want to go back to work because right. you know they're accustomed to doing this thing, but they are fixated on that one one area of, of their life. Let's say they were a CEO, or let's say they worked as a bus driver, or whatever. You know, you just want to keep doing something. You have to do something. You have to have a passion. And, um, and so, luckily for me, I developed a passion for writing, and uh, cool. and I love the process. You know, I'm thinking about what I. Because I've been involved in a lot of creative, because you just inspired me. I am deathly afraid of Alzheimer's and dementia and all that stuff. Uh, I look at it as like, uh, that's worse than, that's much worse than dying. So I'm aware of it at this point in my life now. And I'm like uh, doing anything I can, you know, to avoid it. (laughs) And I'm wondering what I could do to exercise my brain in a way that I haven't before, because I've tried everything. I've had a very versatile life, as you have. But, um, geez, I think you've inspired me to at least think about it now. Um, Let's talk, because now, is this a self-published book, or did you go traditional publishing? It's a a self-published book. I had a... um... I, I was recruited by uh, a, 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 an agent, and um, and we had a relationship for about six months. Uh, two things happened. One, um, well, she wanted me to turn it into a fictional novel. She wanted me to drop out all of the uh, the uh, reflection and, and commentary comments and make it a fictional thing, and she wanted to shop it for short stories at Netflix and whatnot. Uh, but I decided that... Um, one of the reasons I, I I wrote it as I was writing it after I began the process, uh, I have uh, six uh, grandchildren and I have four children, and uh, you know they I've never talked to my children about um, I try to talk to them they don't really want to they don't really listen or they you know oh you know they walk away or whatever they're not interested in hearing a long story about something that happened to you as a child and this that and other, so I figured that this book would serve that purpose. It would serve uh, something that they they may not read it now, but uh, but maybe you know five years or when they get to 20, 30, 40, whatever. At some point, they have something where they can learn who who I am and what 
what I went through because my experience growing up is so much different than what my, <laughs> my children and grandchildren uh, are experiencing. I mean, totally, totally, I mean, like 100% different. Listen, and so we have so many different um, different uh, opinions and values and stuff like yeah. that. That, And I hope that this book is able to... Uh, uh, to inform them of who I am and what I went through and, and, and why I am the way I am. Right. Um, well, I, the reason I asked whether it was published or, or, or you know, tr traditional publishing or self-publishing is because the title is very unique um, and it, it kind of suggests that um, a lot of the subject matter might be uh, about the difficulties of growing up in the Deep South in a time where, uh, let's face it, um, black people were definitely treated much worse than they are today, and race relations may have improved somewhat, but not all that much in some areas. But there is a huge difference in growing up in California uh, post 60s and 70s to growing up in Alabama in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And I I think even though it's recent history, I think it's a shame that people don't understand. You know, when we hear about MAGA, make, make America great again, that's the time people were thinking about it. I'm like, well, it wasn't that great for everybody. You know, you know, you know that was George Wallace's uh, uh, campaign slogan. Uh, when he ran for president. When he ran, when George Wallace ran for president, that was his campaign slogan. Wow, that's what Trump got it from. I don't, and, and I've never heard anybody say that on CNN or any news program. But if you you can Google it, I guess you can Google it. I'm, I I remember it. I remember, I remember him when he got shot. I remember huh? when he got shot, and yeah. it it was weird because where I was. Listen, I I'm in very much red zone of uh, Long Island where, you know, those attitudes still run deep. But in 1968, when Wallace was running, I remember when he got shot and people who were he actually ran, I think he overtly ran his, racist. He ran 72, was, I think. Yeah. I think he ran oh, 72. It was a 72, you're right. When he yeah. got shot, people who were overtly racist actually were celebrating it not because not because they hated George Wallace but because they wanted the Republicans to win and he was a threat that he was going to take votes away from that right. <laughs> it was a very weird time but now the title of the book are you and and now it's asterisks on the cover of the book I don't know why when when it broke I got hashtags in my uh, <laughs> but and yeah. asterisk 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 are you know the word or a doctor uh, where, what's the, um, where did that inspiration for that title come from? Um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, as, as I mentioned earlier, they said, write a memoir. Okay. So memoir, uh, at the time I had really didn't know the difference between a memoir and a, and an autobiography, <clears throat> but I was told that a memoir is a slice of life. That's the difference in, in, compared to autobiography. And, and, um, um, one of, and at that meeting of the writers, the, the lady, uh, we had a lady writer who had written several books and, and several, uh, memoirs about her family. She was about 85, 86 years old. And she said, uh, I told just write and it'll come to you. You know, you write whatever you sit down and whatever you remember, just write it. So the first thing I remember, I mean, I never forgot that I, I was actually asked, asked that I was at a hospital in uh, Case Western Reserve Hospital in Ohio. And I was the only 
this was the first time I, I went to all all black school from from kindergarten to high school and then went to a, a, a predominantly black college and a predominantly black uh, medical school. Uh, out of uh, 80 students, we had eight white students. So I'd never been in a situation where I was uh, the only black person. And when I got to uh, Case Western Reserve, out of 35 interns and residents, I was the only black one. So, uh, and I was asked that question uh, by a patient. And uh, I just never forgot that. I mean, how could, how, could, how could I forget that question? I mean, it was a shock when they asked it. And, 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 uh, and I won't tell you what I said when, uh, as an answer, <laughs> so you have to read it. But, uh, but it, was a, it, was a, it was something I never, I mean, how can you forget that? Yeah, I just never forgot. It never happened again. I have to say that. I never ran across that in my 45 years of practice again. I never, no one ever asked me that question, thank goodness. Yeah, and, but. Well. But so that was the first story I wrote, and so when I um, and uh, and the second story I wrote was about a, a, a white water fountain when I was seven years old, and that's because it, the first thing that came to my mind, you know, you start you write from memory, and so and and, and if you re read the book, you'll notice that um, every chapter has a name, and the reason it has those names is because as I wrote the stories in order to keep up with what I'd written, I had to give it a title. You know, because it, it's not sequential; it's not uh, in order, and so um, uh, and so that uh, that story about the water fountain, where I wanted to taste the uh, white water to see what was different about it from the cold. <laughs> <laughs> I was seven years old, and uh, and uh, so those two so those were the first two stories I wrote because they were right there, you know, in the memory. I mean, it, it was the first thing I remember. So when I uh, was trying to decide on a title, I had, you know, it, it, part of my MBA experience from years ago was uh, marketing. And of course, uh, marketing means uh, uh, getting some attention and I figured the title would get attention. But as you mentioned, the title doesn't really reflect what, what's in the book. That's one story. It's more personal than, uh, than and it's a lot of humor and it's uh, short stories and it's about, puberty and growing up and the racist of even the stories about uh, when I was when I grew up from those 16 years in Alabama is sort of the backdrop sort of the background you know I mean you you're having you're going to parties you're doing this you're dating you're going through puberty you're playing basketball you're in the band and in the backdrop there's all these things going on there's demonstrations there's bombings you know we had uh, something like 50 bombings a year of black churches and, and homes in Birmingham, they never made the news. It never made the news until those four girls were, were killed in 1963. And then, of course, the whole world got world attention. But we were we were used to that. I mean, we it was to the point that in, in my neighborhood, we had white, white uh, what we call white, white man watch. And uh, on, on each of the three entrances to our neighborhood, it was called Lincoln Park. And, and, and at each station, there was we set two people in a car, and they would uh, look for a white People they were in the neighborhood, and, and if they saw some white person, they walk and talk it back, and they come out with their guns. And this was done all over Birmingham and, and neighborhoods. Now we we never had a bombing in my neighborhood. Most of them were done in a, a, a there was an area called Sugar Hill, which was 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 a upscale community where uh, uh, higher income black people lived, a colored people we called it at that time, and 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 that's where and that became known as Dynamite Hill. 
and 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 that was uh, that, that was about. so to get back to your original question about the title that's that's why I picked the title because uh, to you know if I if I if I'd written Doctor Starworth's uh, uh, <laughs> you know no it wouldn't get any attention I mean nobody right, right. if I were if I were um, Denzel Washington or you know uh, Brad Pitt or you know somebody like that you write a memoir all you got to do is have your name on it and you get you get uh, you get attention. No doubt about it. I mean, if it, if it were uh, the old school traditional world where there were book bu uh, bookstores and people were walking through bookstores, this book would definitely grab your attention. Everybody, it doesn't. I don't care if you're black or white, you you know whatever race you are, uh, you're right. gonna want to read this book because uh, it's compelling. That's uh, now. Uh, uh, do you feel? Because I mean, the, the time. And first of all, I have to say, when I'm hearing you talk about bombings not getting reported on the news, they would get reported on the new in media today as probably staged. Uh, you know, the FBI is doing this to make to convince white people that white supremacy actually exists because it doesn't really exist, and so it's probably staged. It's all it's all a big conspiracy, and yeah. <laughs> that's how it would get get uh, reported today. But yeah. uh, uh, that time, it, it's. I mean, I can't understand what you went through, and I get. But do you feel like it's gotten any better, race relations in, in America? Now, of course, you're not seeing bombings, fifty bombings a year, or whatever the number was. But maybe the bombings have stopped. But have we have we grown as a people? Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that question because I thought we had <clears throat> until. Uh, until recent changes that have happened politically, yeah. especially with the Republican Party, uh, the Republican Party and the, and their agenda and what they are doing in Florida and the kind of things, laws they're passing in many of the red states is reminiscent of what uh, what Alabama was like. The only difference is there are no signs that say colored, colored and white and, right. and so forth. And we have a much more... Um, now, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of people, New York... Um, uh, California is a much more diverse kind of a community, and uh, and then but yet we have other communities. You know, it, it's there's something I point out in the, in the, one of the stories. Uh, uh, in fact, it's about the story uh, from the book title, where at the end of that I explain uh, a, a thing I call the the cross race effect, meaning that when people are isolated from a, a, another group. And you don't know anyone of that group. Uh, uh, let's say you, you, you're not around any Asian people. You're not around it. You, you, they all tend to uh, to uh, look alike. And uh, and as examples in that story about where uh, uh, I'm approached because they said I look like uh, the guy from Mars Squad, and and we, we look nothing alike. Link, Link. yeah, yeah Link. Yeah. So we both have big afros, and, yeah. and we were both black men. But I had a big mustache, and and he had sideburns. I didn't have, so I still can't grow sideburns, and and that sort of thing. So we look nothing alike. But people, when you and and then as an example in a story uh, about the water fountain, when I'm on the way to the water fountain, you know, Birmingham was so segregated, <clears throat> we were so isolated that um, I never saw white people except on TV. And 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 the TV was a black and white TV. So so white people on TV look like uh, typing paper, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so on the way to school, I'm, 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 I mean, to that 
that water fountain incident, I was six or seven years old. I'm looking out and I'm seeing uh, I've seen some white people and I look and I say, I said, mommy, mommy, how do they tell each other apart? She said, what do you mean? I said, because they're all the same complexion. How do they tell you apart? Because in a black family, uh, a color family, we call them at that time, we're all different complexions. Some are lighter, darker, whatever. You know, it's just a, a range of, 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 of a rainbow of brown, you know, color. Uh, and 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 yet they they so to me uh, I couldn't tell them apart because I didn't see any white people except the bus driver and except the white people on TV. Yeah. That was that was it. So it was uh, and and that and, and if you take that same philosophy or that same concept, uh, it's kind of a problem with racism. So in the middle of America, where there's no, uh, which is more white. You know, like you know, less black, less any other ethnic groups, they become more. Uh, uh, I guess you could use the word racist. They call more prejudice against people who are different. Of course, whereas a place yeah. like New York, was multicultural and all kinds of people. I mean, you still may have conflict and this, that, and the other. But you know, you when you work together, you tend to develop respect and, and get to know people, and you find out that. Everyone's has everybody is kind of the same. We all have children. We all want the best for our children. We all want to, we want to be healthy. We, you know, is everybody has the same kind of goals? It's not much difference. Yeah, and, and it seems all, so yeah. simple to solve <clears throat> racism is just to get to know people, and you'll yeah. realize that we're all people. But it seemed like a simple thing, but it's not. I had a, a comedian on the other day who said. The deep south is not in the in the deep south. It's thirty miles from any city. You you will find that kind of, uh, and I, I I definitely can relate to that because I'm in an area uh, that it, listen my na- my area was dominated by people from the West Indies who had black skin, but they were not African. But uh-huh. their culture is not the same. But they are looked at as as black people and i'm sure you know their experience is very much like african americans but they're not african americans but people just lump them all with oh they're black skin you know yeah. <laughs> what area are you in i'm in long island but oh, where, okay. where where we where, the the actual heritage of this area or the the history of this area is iroquois indians and people from the west indies and then you know the white people came in and just said no it's all ours <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh you know it's but race relations i think is is the number one problem we face as a world not just as a country it's it's, it's understanding that we're all people and i don't you know, it's hard for me as a guy of privilege to say, you know, I'm I don't see it getting any better, but I don't see it getting any better. I'm very, very uh, concerned that we're just not getting it. We just as a human a human race, we're not getting a very simple message because like you. I went to a school where I was the only white kid in in a high school. In my high school, I was a runaway, and I went to a high school, a high school in Lake Wales, uh, which is a very rural part of Central Florida. And I was like the white kid standing out. And I, my first day in that school, I played gospel, played bass in a gospel uh, orchestra, and it was all black people on the stage and one really white kid sticking out in the, in the middle. Wow, of the I had a hell but, of an experience. 
It was, it was, but it's not the, it's not the same as the reverse. It's not as intimidating because you're still considered at the top of the food chain. You know, you're still a a first class citizen as opposed to a second, especially back then. You right. know, uh, it, even though so, it's not as intimidating as a, a black kid in an all white school. The only black kid in an all white school, I still had nothing to be really worried about. I don't want to yeah. get on so far. One of the things when I f first left, uh, you know, I never left the state of Alabama until I was 16. And when I left, I, I had high expectations. <clears throat> and, and a lot of people asked me, well, what did you find was uh, was different? And, only th and in some cases, uh, the only thing I found was different was that there were no signs. Yeah. There were yeah. no color only and white only signs. Right. right. People tend to, you know, I guess it's just human nature. But, you know, you go to New York and like you mentioned, there's a is a certain area where uh, black people tend to live and a certain people area where the where Jewish people tend to live and a certain area where Puerto Rican people tend to live and, and so forth and so on. And this happens in, almost in every city. I mean, even in Los Angeles. Uh, so it, 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 by nature, we tend to be clannish and, and sometimes that can, um, that can, and, and when you have no interaction with another race that then, that, then you start believing all the little, uh, the you know the 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 the, uh, um, the rumors and, and whatnot yeah, you know the things I, I call them lies we can call I mean, them lies uh, lies yeah <laughs> yeah so, I mean I, again the the real uh, and I know this is it seems it seems like I'm oversimplifying but the truth is we're all people every person yes. goes through what you're going through hardships uh you know everything humanly possible that you can feel. It doesn't matter if a person is black, Asian, white. We all go through the same things. And if we could just understand that. But it, again, it, it's and, so simple. And I'm, I'm hoping that, because I think in this memoir, uh, what I write about is what I went through. It's a very personal, very personal uh, 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 memoir. I mean, it's a, it's, it's, so the stories uh, are talking about my personal experiences, my personal demons, my, you know, my my problems at, at home. I mean, for example, and uh, I don't want to go into this too 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 much, but but my uh, my parents divorced when I was twelve, and at the time they divorced, nobody else in the state of Alabama <laughs> was divorced. Right. You know, so I had I was shamed. I had I tried to hide it. I, I didn't want to uh, let my 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 my, uh, my friends know or, or whatever. And at the same time, my mother was shunned. You know, the men the men didn't want her around their wives because they may catch the divorce bug, and 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 the women didn't want them around their husbands because she might be seduced. This single woman might be seducing their husbands. So and and then I went through the, just trying to hide it. The fact that they were divorced because it was a stigma. Right. Unlike today, where everybody's divorced, <laughs> divorced many times, and 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 it's rare when you have a, a two parents uh, that have been together, you know, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Uh, well, you but, know what? Again, yeah. we 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 are taking a step backwards. The state of Texas wants to make it so that women have to stay in America if they're unhappy now. 
if men want a divorce, there there will still be allowed to get a divorce, but a woman has to prove that what. That's what they're trying to, you know, pass. And they passed that uh, house in, in Texas. Uh, and now all it has to do is pass their Senate. And then Jim Abbott will gladly sign off on it. So this is something I don't understand. The Republican Party, as far as I knew from the past, has always been against big government. Right. Government should not be in your life. And now they're regulating, trying to regulate every part of your life. Yeah, you know, yeah. Starting with the, the abortion thing and now talking about what books you can read. And now, what is this again? The woman <laughs> they, want, they want to outlaw divorce. Like, so you can't, you outlaw have to show is. cause. Yeah. Oh. As a woman, you'll have to show right, a rightful cause or you can be forced to stay in a marriage. Yeah. Like, now, it, it, I, I remember that some states, <clears throat> when, when, uh, when, when you, um, there were some states that you had to have show cause. And I thought New York was, at one time was one of those states, right? Not anymore, no. <laughs> Not anymore. It used to be, it used to be, I remember California at one time was, uh, was, was uh, pointed out as a state where you don't have to show cause, you can divorce. But it right. used to be some states you had to have a reason for divorce. You had right. to prove that they there was infidelity or some some other thing right. uh, to go divorce. And that's how I stepped back. Well, that's what I mean about this Republican thing, and it's it's like they're trying to control your life, banning books and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is uh, some crazy, crazy right. stuff. Yeah. So get your get your book while you can, folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that <moment is>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's what that's where I was going to wrap this up. Uh, the book is, is a, <laughs> it, it's available everywhere online, but go to. Uh, uh, <laughs> Dr. Stallworth's website, and there is links to where you, you can buy it from your preferred online uh, source. There, uh, yeah. appreciate you being on here. You're an inspirational guy, and uh, so what an incredible life! I can't wait to read the book, and uh, I'm very inspired by by just meeting you and talking to you. Uh, I, I hope you do very well with the book. If there's anything I can do to to help with that as we as we move forward, you know. Just let me know if you're doing any events, book signings, any kind of stuff like that. I'd be glad to let people know about it. And I appreciate okay. you being here. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, you have a great uh, day. And thanks for coming. Bye for okay. now. Bye for now. All right. Bye. Dr. Otto Stolz. Let me take this book down out of my face. Thank you. Wow. Incredible story. The big takeaway for me there. Boy, oh, boy. Uh, you know, we're talking about history that forgets forgets and you know those who forget history are doomed to repeat it and i do feel like we are at, at least in the last decade maybe not quite a decade but around a decade taking steps back into the world that he writes about that was and it's not all about just you know um the racial struggles we have but again i know i'm being a broken record here but the answer really is so simple get to know your neighbors get to know people um drop the fear just because you see somebody who's different than you doesn't mean they're not the same as you in a very real sense of sharing humanity sharing their uh their perspective on life. I mean, we all we all deal with the same stuff. I know it, it sounds so simple. Why can't we just get the message? 
Very tough stuff. I'm going to take a short break, uh, and Dylan Brody will be with us. Uh, we're going to talk about comedy. We're going to talk about his writing, his uh, education in the uh, in the arts, uh, and his film, and all that kind of stuff. And so we'll be back with him in a moment. Uh, let me just uh, remind you that we are also brought to you by True Fire. If you want to learn to play guitar, True Fire is uh, the best online source. They are our sponsors, and you can find just about every great guitar player teaching individual uh, lessons on their True Fire. Check it out. Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with True Fire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. TrueFire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations and track your progress as you work through your personalized TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, TrueFire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Yeah, fight musicality. All right, guys. Hey, simmer down. Coffee with a Dog is live streaming now. We are live streaming now. We're on uh, Live 365 Radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube, and Twitch, and Twitter, and all those uh, all those websites. You know, um, Dr. Stallworth uh, talking about um, basically how the bombings uh, weren't even reported on the news. And I said, you know what, today, if it, it would be reported on the news, but it would be reported as a hoax, a staged event by the FBI. Everything's a big conspiracy theory. Just last night, I believe it was last night. I could be wrong on that. Um, Truck, a U-Haul truck with a Nazi flag on it crashes into White House gates. And everybody on the right, all staged, has to be staged. There's no such thing as Nazis in America, even though we see Nazi flags everywhere. There's no such thing as white supremacists, or even though we see the Confederate flag and all its racist meanings being 
flown by so many people and people have it on their trucks and in their houses. Everything is staged according to these conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah, you, you haul trucks are a psyop. Thank you for, for that, Ian. <laughs> everything, everything is a psyop. Everything is staged by the government. Everything that uh, points to uh, we still have some real divides in America racially. Uh, we still have lots of, I'm sorry to say, we have hardcore racists and racism in this country. And, you know, Joe Pagliarulo, who was a radio guy out of, uh, I think, um, San Antonio, Texas. I think that he's a blaze guy. And a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago, he said he's he's from this area, by the way. I know his family. I I play with his cousins in a band every once in a while, or he plays with us. Claims he never saw a white supremacist. There is Klan and white supremacy activity in my area. They don't they don't hide it. Uh. And it's not staged. It's been there since I was a small child. And as I talk about when when Wallace got uh, shot in 1972, I thought it was 68. In 1972, there were people I know who just as as racist as can be, who were celebrating the fact that one of their racist leader uh, leaders got shot because. They thought that he was going to um, take away the nomination from McGovern, and they saw McGovern as an easy uh, loss for the Democrats, an easy win for Richard Nixon. So they were celebrating the fact that um, Wallace got shot, but not for the reason, not because he was a, a racist piece of shit. <laughs> But in spite of the fact that he was a racist piece of shit and liked them, but they were completely ideologically ideologically aligned with, uh, you know, segregation, and and they wanted to keep segregation going. Very weird times, and so this is in my lifetime, and it hasn't gotten better. This this area is still. Uh, I'm talking about my neighbors. Yes, there are people in this community who still want to, uh, you know, set the clock back to 1940 in the Deep South, waiting on uh, Dylan. I hope hope we have the uh, arrangements right, and he's not, um, he's not going to be um, confused by the time zones. This is what, this is my concern. I'm just going to you know what? I'm going to play a song while I go check out, make sure, <laughs> yeah, make sure we're on track to get uh, Dylan on the program this morning. I should have taken care of this. I know. I'm slacking. I'm slacking. I should have taken care of this long before. But um, I'm just going to play a quick song while I go to check this out. Let's see what I'll uh, what I'll play here. That's too long. 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 Um, All right, we'll go with this one.
Waving is the hardest thing to do One love and you want it now But someone gonna have to explain it to you To get it through your silly head somehow I know you think you heard it all before But you better listen to me when I say You're not the only lonely boy in New York City It happens to feel that way with a dog on Live 365 Mind Dog Radio.
I tell you, I am. Uh, you could take them damn city streets off now, okay? All right. Yes. Really? Wait a minute, folks. This is not right. Get those damn city streets off my screen. Hello. I think Dylan is lost in cyberspace, and I do believe uh, his assistant. I think her name was Amelia. Going to be in some hot water over this, big time. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But um, these mistakes can be made. I think Dylan, uh, Dylan is on the West Coast. I'm pretty sure he is. And uh, maybe expecting Pacific time, even though it says in the emails Eastern. She picked a time. I'm not going to get upset over a no-show. I'm not. It, it happens. Oh, I am upset. <laughs> I can't lie. Anyway, uh, so I'm, you know what? I'll give a few minutes here to see if uh, if we can get this straightened out. I was really looking forward to, to talking to Dylan because, uh, um, well, he's just a really bright guy and a, a great performer and writer, but also now he's branching out besides teaching workshops and writing and all that kind of stuff and being a... Uh, a voice of professionalism in comedy and, and performance and writing and all that stuff. He's now um, branching out into songwriting uh, with thinking aloud explorations in epigenetic expansionism. Uh, the optimistic new show includes music. Yeah. And he's uh, performing as a songwriter. And so a lot of things I wanted to talk to him about and, um, not a whole lot of time to do that, but I thought, you know what, um, because because we have to get off govs by 1045, although I would, if he does show up, I would definitely expand the interview to uh, time-wise here, but I'm not sure he's going to show up. And so uh, I will, you know, do what I do for a few minutes to see if we can get it cleared up but if not i will probably end up signing off and taking care of a whole bunch of work that i do have to get to today uh work in the business end of the show again as i mentioned <clears throat> contributors gung-ho gung-ho to get started can't wait to get started what do i need to do to get started you tell them what they do to get started and then you don't hear from them again everybody's gung-ho now <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not, you know, putting out any names of. Um... That would be terrible, wouldn't it? To be accusatory and defaming people uh, just because they were interested and really gung ho last week and uh, hit a stall. Now, I think it sounds easier than it really is. I know. Uh, that's, um, I don't know, self-serving at best for me to even think that, right? It's easier than, it, oh, look who's, look who's uh, sharing my gigs. People who have not been, all fans of the gig, uh, of the band who have not been to a gig in probably 10 years sharing my gigs. That's a cool thing. What was I saying? Oh, this is, so the idea of contributing probably easier than it sounds and and people who 
who said, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. And I went, know I get started. All of a sudden finding out, you know what? This isn't easy. This is difficult. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe, uh, maybe I got to slow down. Maybe I take a step back. Maybe I got to figure out exactly what I have to contribute. What, what, what do I have to bring to the table? Maybe I should have put that in there. Move slow. Oh, Alicia is there. Uh, hold on. Hold on a second, folks. You know what? Maybe I... <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Uh, I should take a, a... I'm sorry to do this to you, but and while I get this figured out, I don't know if this is the... the uh, this is Jake Jolly, director of Clay Zombies, and you are listening to the best in radio, the big dog of the airwaves, Mind Dog Radio. No, it doesn't seem like, it seems just like a coincidence that a uh, person who just contacted me through text, um, I don't know. I just don't know, folks. I'm, I'm in a state of confusion. It's not the first time this has happened, but it looks like... Um, I'm going to do one more thing. You know what? I'm going to play something really, really stupid, I think. And then a short one. And then see if I can be back really quick. Let's see. I'll play this while I... Uh, I'm, bear with me. I'm going to see if I can get Dylan happen. And one more time, go college try. If we can't, well, I'll wrap it up and uh, we'll try again tomorrow. I have another Dylan tomorrow. I was looking forward to two Dylans in a row. That, that hasn't happened on the program. Uh, I'll be right back. Well, I'm the kind of guy who likes to sleep in late. And I'm the kind of guy who doesn't like to wait. If you can handle that, we'll get along just great. Because that's the kind of guy I am. Not the kind of guy who likes to start a fight. But I've never been a
ouch, ouch. Uh, I did uh, get in touch with uh, Dylan's assistant. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't. I think there must have been some kind of. She she said no. She there was no mix up. She got the information to him, uh, but it didn't happen. And I don't think it's happening uh, today, which is sad. Really was looking forward to talking to him, but you know what? Things happen for a reason, right? That's the the position we we take. Everything happens for a reason. Uh, maybe it's better that I get him solo on another day, um, and we get to uh, have a longer, more in depth. Yeah, listen, today was not a waste. Uh, Doctor Stallworth's uh, interview was inspirational, motivational, and insightful. Very, very cool stuff. How you go from being a medical doctor to being a record producer to a uh, restaurant owner in in L.A. And the, the backstory. It's just really, really cool stuff. And I am looking forward to reading the book. You know what? I read a lot of books from a lot of authors. Some of them bore me to tears. I will not lie. Uh, but this one I'm compelled and excited to be reading. Uh, it's like, I can't, are you an N-word or are you a doctor? I don't like saying the N-word. I feel like that makes us, it's like children. It's like the N-word, like we're not adult enough to hear the harshness of the word. It's like, you know, when you talk to a pee-pee instead of penis. <laughs> I mean, that's what I feel like whenever I say the N-word. I hate that. It feels like, you know, I'm I'm being a child or being talked to like a child. Anyway. Uh, anyway, we'll probably reschedule Dylan for another day. I'm sorry that that didn't work out. I don't know where the screw-up was. I'll accept responsibility for that. Um and that's my bottom line there. I'll accept responsibility for that. Uh, whatever happened, happened. Whatever bubble bubbles up. Uh, yeah, uh, Alicia's saying that she thinks she messed up, missed a step in making sure it was on the calendar. He's really good at, at showing up on time. Listen, it ha things happen. And for uh, definitely to talk to Dylan, I will definitely... Uh, be happy to just reschedule it and i'm sorry for you folks who were uh excited about hearing what he has to say especially guy's got a lot of insight as far as um taking your your career and your writing and your performance to a higher level speaking of that uh what's his what's name now barry barry katz has a program uh your uh, blueprint to comedy success, and he will. We're gonna actually start. I'll put the link in the description to that. Uh, start promoting that as of uh, I guess well, as of now. I was gonna start doing it uh, later in the week. Uh, I think Friday we were planning on on putting that out. Keith has given me a direct link to his special, which is out a week from today at seven central. 
called What I Was Arrested For, KLJ's uh, link. It's on my Twitter. It's on my Facebook page. I will be putting that in the description later on today for this. If you find this on YouTube or uh, Spotify or wherever the hell, Apple, iTunes, wherever the hell you find the podcast post-production, it will be in the link for you. Uh, Bookmark that for next Tuesday night, 7 p.m., what I was arrested for. There's a live stream following that program, which I believe I'm going to be taking part in. Yes, me. Just me. Uh, you know, uh, like I, like anybody's interested in me. Like you don't get enough of me here every morning. <laughs> I get enough of myself, and I can't stand me. I'm ready to uh, unsubscribe for myself. Uh, yeah, I just got word we're gonna have to reschedule. Uh, all right. Well, you know what? That means I should go do what I have to do and get on with. Get on with things, and you. So should you. I'm sorry to have. Um, I'm sorry to have misled you <laughs> for the program you could have expected here today. But I think you got your money's worth in the first hour, folks. I do. If you want your money back, uh, uh, I, I will gladly refund your money. I'm just trying to read text messages. This is happens trying to communicate back and forth while I'm doing it. Anyway, you want to learn more about uh, Dylan, you can go to his link tree, Dylan Brody. Uh, link tree, linktr.ee slash Dylan Brody and find out all you need to know about Dylan Brody if you're not already familiar with him. That's a shelf for today, I guess. We're going to we'll reschedule Dylan for another day. Uh, next time he will be here. We'll be sure about that. In the meantime, get the book. Are you a... Or a doctor. Uh, it's by Dr. Otto uh, E. Stallworth Jr. And it's available at his website, uh, which is in the in the description. Anyway, that's it, man. You guys have a great rest of your day. I'm going to go take care of business, taking care of business. And I'm going to listen to Get Down Boogie Oogie Oogie and learn those guitar parts and those bass, uh, bass riffs from that. Cool stuff. I am, I'm kind of excited about revisiting that stuff. Anyway. Uh, here's a song you might be uh, familiar with. It's by a group called The Mind Dogs, and it's called Turn On Your Radio. See you tomorrow.
listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.